Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello, happy hump day. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just uh, getting through, getting over, coming back off holiday, and thinking, oh, back to the back to the grindstone, I guess. Post holiday blues. A little bit. I haven't even posted my photos from my holiday yet, which I think I should. Yeah. So yes, I think we should just get stuck in. Unless you've got anything you want to share, anything about your week? No, no I'm, I'm, I'll be looking forward to seeing those pictures. Oh yeah. Caledonia. When they finally get out. I'm just trying to think of anything I did. Oh, I, I have got some exciting news, but it's kind of on the down low at the minute. I may be writing some articles for a business magazine. Oh, that's amazing. Is this an exclusive we're hearing? Oh, I don't know. It's exclusive. I've been invited to write some articles. I'm going to wait and see whether they get accepted and then it'll be then it'll be celebratory. But it's celebratory in itself that I've even been noticed to be invited so I have to thank have you to thank for that Bavna why so how so because you based on your merit and your heart no based on this podcast because I have without you this could not be I wouldn't be doing this podcast because I feel it works by having a partner a co-host who can articulate the problems and have open discussions and be vulnerable and give their opinions wholeheartedly and share their own experiences and that's the co-host I look for and that's what makes this podcast great and so thank you for being my co-host and this is what got noticed this is what got me noticed and this is what got me the invitation so thank you well I'm honored to be the co-host um so um and if I'm contributing to the message and the purpose um then I'm more than happy um, to be involved so thank you for the opportunity Tracy well thank you should we should we jump in yes let's jump in to the story because it's been quite topical and then just and just like I actually don't know where I stand on this probably because I'd need to educate myself more on the topic Um, but it's very much in the news a lot at the moment and this story is about how world sport got into a mess 
over trans athletes. So it's about the whole debate about trans athletes. And it's been quite topical. And I remember my mum was here when she was here. She was like, oh, I don't know. She was even going, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. And I was, and I, my first response is why? Because my first response is to be as inclusive of, as possible and to not have people not fit. They're not fitting somewhere. What We already have separate men and women into, we already do that. We already separate based on gender and so we do that. And then now we have people that have changed their gender and to not allow them to, to compete and um, be on a world stage and have that their talent shown in that, that gender category seems unfair. However, when you read some of the things that are out in the press at the minute, it's like, oh, it makes you think. So let's tell the story. Yes, I'm interested in hearing more about this because uh, I also had a conversation about this not so long ago, very similar to your mum's probably perspective, where I actually, I was hearing a perspective that was shared to me and it made me look at this issue in a different light. Mm. Come to that and uh, yeah, yeah come to that. let's see what, we, what the article says. So how world sport got into a mess over trans athletes and how it can get out of it. So world sport has been convulsed over the past few months. Indeed, years by questions about trans athletes, especially trans women, especially trans women, competing in the required gender. Now, before I go on, I'll just say this is in a um, news source called The Conversation, which is actually quite good. I've seen a few things in here. So most recently, World Athletics announced its preferred option of a reduced 2.5 nanomole testosterone limit for trans women to compete with a final decision due on March 23. So yesterday, basically. So by the time this episode goes out, the decision will have already been made. So for me, it's already interesting that they're defining, they're almost make a definition of a woman or female competitor is based on their testosterone levels. Okay, but and this is what the article says. Other sporting bodies have proposed stricter eligibility rules, including the Rugby Football Union, the Rugby Football League, the British Triathlon and British Athletics, based on excluding male advantage gains through puberty or organization, which is the process leading to irreversible musculoskeletal and cardiovascular changes at puberty from female competition. So I guess the suggestion is then, that it's not just the testosterone limit, but then if you've gone through puberty, um, the suggestion is that you have musculoskeletal and cardiovascular, I'd guess, characteristics that are typical of male and maybe an advantage of a female. Yeah, so that's the suggestion. I don't know if it's true, but that's a suggestion. So like British athletes, British triathlon said it wanted an open category for all individuals, including male, male and female, transgender, and those non-binary who were male sex at birth. While World Aquatics will make trans women athletes ineligible from competing in elite women's swimming and diving, saying fairness was non-negotiable. So tensions are still very apparent, but there are some signs with these new policies of shift on global policy, from one based on testosterone levels to one based on male advantage acquired at puberty. And it is clear that the terrain has been shifting from the terrain of science to the terrain of ethics. So I'm not going to read all of the article, but you can see that there's different um, perceptions on what is fair. Okay. What I did read in this article, which I felt was quite interesting, is the attempt to re-engineer the idea of what 
what is fair? What's fair competition? Because well, some argue that even though trans women have residual male advantages, it can still be reasonable for them to compete in the female category. It's still meaningful competition. And it's like, well, what's fair competition or meaningful competition? And the International Olympic Committee, which follows the res specific researchers, namely Joanna Hyper and Yanis, have given its blessing to the twin ideas of meaningful competition and disproportionate advantage in its policy documents. So the general idea is that if the advantage held by trans women is sufficiently small so that they won't win all the time, then it is permissible and meaningful for them to compete in the female category. So there you go. And there's a lot more in here. It's a very interesting article. And I guess it's about advantage because even within one gender, there's advantages because you might just be stronger, um, not maybe based on skill, Maybe, and like, for example, I'll give you one example that the first thing that comes to mind, because at high school, I was pushed into sport because I'm black. I did, yeah, because a lot of black people have, yeah. You were pushed into... Well, I enjoyed sport anyway, but I was pushed into competitive sport. Sorry, I'm laughing because was was the school open about this? That, oh, you're black, so you'll be good at sport. No. So that's how I, sorry, that's how I was reading that. Sorry. But I mean, it has been... It has been suggested. However, it was, it's not, it's a stereotype that can be true yeah. because you, a lot of black athletes are very good at certain sports and yeah. it's a, you know, it's a genetic thing. So yeah. that's true. Like it's like muscle, you know, whatever. I'm not the expert. I wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, it made me laugh because I thought it was being overtly. It wasn't overtly suggested. <laughs> However, I was good at athletics. So it was, implied that I could do go somewhere with that right? yeah, encouraged because obviously there was enthusiasm shown around the sport yeah. yeah but it's true there has there's some truth to that that black athletes are particularly good at some sports there's a genetic reason for that so would you say all right black people have to have their own category in these sports because they've got an unfair advantage do you know what I mean so that, this is the thing the idea is going on around in my head it's like what's what's fair? What's fair competition? Okay, so my so it I have to say this issue, the reason why I'm smiling and the reason why I'm glad that this has come up as a feature in this podcast, because this whole area, this whole terrain is a minefield, which is the reason why it's causing so much opposition when it comes to views on this. Only a few weeks ago, I was asking a friend of mine about this, about about why is there so much um, opposition and views around this? And uh, he actually put, he asked me about this and he asked me to put myself in a perspective where he said, he said, if you imagine you're a female athlete and you have been training your whole life to be an Olympian and that's what you are trained to be. That's what you enjoy doing and that's what you've been trained to be. As many Olympians are, they have trained pretty much their entire life. And then let's say you're a runner and, uh, and let's say then in the, next, in the next few months, it's been announced that the category has been open to transgender and you'll be then compete, you'll now be competing with another female who is trans who is physically different or has been different to you like for example and the example he went on to further give me was of uh, Caitlyn Jenner so 
he asked me to imagine you're a female who has um, who has been training all her life to be to be Olympian level, and it's been announced that Caitlyn Jenner will be competing in your category. Maybe I don't know enough about what's required for training in uh, to be an Olympian, but my thoughts in, automatically. I'm sharing this with you here on the podcast. My thoughts uh, when I was asked to imagine this was my thoughts automatically went to, oh, that I that would I would feel uncomfortable about that. That's where my thoughts went. For what reason? Because I was thinking, well, if I, I'm a female who has um, who's been um, training, will be delayed all my life, and then somebody who has who has known physicality, which is a lot stronger than me, biologically a lot stronger than me who would have been in a different category, in a men's category, has now jumped into a female category because of identification. That's a massive impact on what I've been training for. Because in training, you are comparing and working within that female biological boundary. Mm. And have that open up to someone like um, Caitlyn Jenner, whose physicality is by far a major difference to my female category, it's, it would make me feel uncomfortable. But my first reaction is, and I'm, I'm being honest here, is imagining if I was a female athlete who had trained my and dedicated my entire life and then been told Caitlyn Jenner was, was going to be in my category, yes, I would find that a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I get so it. Would, and that's why, and I think that's where the, I'm voicing the other... Mm. other I get it. I'm pleased that I'm able to give to that group of athletes, female athletes who have trained all their life and are now facing the possibility of then having this kind of altered because they have to now be inclusive of someone like Caitlyn Jenner. I I get that. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know enough. I know who Caitlyn Jenner is, but I don't know... The specifics of the transformation, let's just say. Bruce Jenner, he's a triathlon. Oh, I know that. I know that historically he was a sporting. Yeah, I get that. I guess I totally get that. And that's why that example was pretty spot on, really. I I really liked that. I mean, I liked being challenged mentally, um, especially when it comes to imagining the situation. Mm. I thought that was a really great one to do. He's like, imagine if I was, you know, I'm I'm of colour. I'm of a, I'm of female origin and I've worked really hard. I've trained myself to be this Olympian athlete. And if I was told that in the next category, the next season, Caitlyn Jenner will be in my category. I was just imagining it. Yeah, got it. It made me feel, made me, it didn't make me feel celebratory. I got it. I get it. I get with that specific scenario, and the thing is, let's look at that scenario. It's making lots of assumptions, isn't it? It's a, Well, first of all, I don't know how often that you would be competing where you've already competing against somebody that has already proven track record of excellence like that. Usually in competition, you're all in competition. Yeah, you might have won that competition. You might have won that competition. But that example, I get why that, he used that example because it's good. It helps you see where the fear comes from or the sense of unfairness comes from, right? Absolutely. But then you've got to think, right, well, what are we assuming then? We're assuming are we they've changed their sex but haven't 
surgically change their gender? Like how much, how much of the gender has been transformed? Is it on the surface? Is it in hormones? Is it in surgery? Like what level? And we're also assuming that they've got the same, exactly the same physical ability as they did when they were identifying as a man than they now identify as a woman. That's another thing we're, we're probably assuming. So this, these, that's why it's, we need to have science suggest these types of questions because we're not, we don't know that. But I, I think that's why, yes, I understand that there's various assumptions around an imaginary situation. But however, let's say, let's take Caitlyn Jenner as an example. I mean, this mm. is a perfect example. Let's take Caitlyn. Caitlyn Jenner is trans. That's fact. Mm. Are we now to say, if we question, would Caitlyn Jenner be able to compete as a female Olympian now? That's not an assumption. So that's a question. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not changing that. I'm changing the assumption. I'm putting it out there. Would Caitlyn Jenner be able to compete now as a female Olympia? Maybe. I don't know. It's, questions still apply. What are the assumptions about their ability, their skill? Like, what are the assumptions? And are they true? That's, the st- assumptions are still there. Yeah. And, but with the, even with the assumptions, let's take Caitlyn Jenner. So if Caitlyn Jenner was to um, express interest in furthering the Olympian path. Yes. Which category would Caitlyn Jenner now be in? And if she was in, if she was placed in the female category, what impact and how would it make the other females in that category feel? Again, that would be really interesting to know. It would be interesting. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about what would their beliefs and assumptions be? about that decision, about that person. It's still the same. So will they believe, well, that person is far stronger than me. Is that true now that they've had, they have trans, gone through the transformation? That's my question. I don't know. Yeah. We do you know, like we don't know. And that's why I'm saying I'm not the expert. I would look to science to inform me instead of assuming, because it's easy to assume that. This article that's, that's originated this discussion. Yeah. It's still saying that science is still trying to uncover what differences or what attributes are lost when there is the yeah. transgender experience. Or what's the advantage? What, uh, it's more like, what advantage are they retaining? That's more the kind of question. It's what advantage are they retaining? And it might be that solution, which is also suggested in the article, is that there's a third category. Yeah. It might be, that might be the solution. I actually like the idea of a third category because I suppose it's because of that example that I was given is that as a female um, athlete training all my life, I I would see it as an unfair advantage. Hmm. I mean, the other thing you're suggesting is the trans person hasn't been training all their life and wanting the same thing. And if they're trans, is it fair to, and they identify as a woman, is it fair to put them in? man's competition this is where the discussion widens out in terms of what's defined as a female even after trans i think that's this is the core of the discussion where that's why it's causing so much division and i'll openly admit i'm still on the fence because i don't i think that you have to be informed by the science but it might also mean that the best option is to have a third category I, I really like the idea of a third category, just not hearing that from the article. But then also maybe 
um, we need to see because the fees the fees that are driving this discussion are that they um, retain an advantage if they were born a man and have changed a woman, retain an advantage from the male body. That's the assumption that drives the fear of unfairness. But at the moment, science hasn't proven that it's not. Well, has it? I mean, even if, whether it has or it hasn't, people will agree with it or disagree with it. And the only way to know for sure is to see it in action. Yeah. That's the only way you know. Science hasn't, yeah. Science, science hasn't proved it. But the only way you prove science is by actual practical doing and getting the results. If there's muscle definition before the, and I'm focusing on Caitlyn Jenner here, mm. or Caitlyn Jenner, if there was muscle definition with Bruce Jenner, after the transgender, there's still muscle, muscle definition with Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And, and is it the same? Has it gone down? There isn't any physical, yeah, it may, it may have gone down, but it was, there's training, which is some Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn yeah. Jenner has been training all her life. Uh, her previous life was as an athlete. Mm. So um, and so, if I was, so she got the cardiovascular benefits as well. I was a female athlete. I wouldn't need much science to assure me that there is still an advantage that Caitlyn Jenner has if she was in my category Mm. after transgender. It's clear to see, and so that's why that's why I'm not convinced about um, waiting for science. So and that's why I like the third category. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said. May, you don't need, necessarily need to wait for science. You can call it science. Even if the science wasn't there, you're still not going to know. You're only going to assume. The only way to know is to do. Because you're always going to get, even in your own category, somebody that's stronger than you, somebody that's fitter than you. That's the whole point, and that's why it's competition. But not if it's a different gender by birth. That's what this discussion is about. Well, then it's like saying that it's not possible to have a man that's not as strong as a woman. Not necessarily. Again, I'm focusing on Caitlyn Jenner here. So yeah. Caitlyn Jenner has been an athlete. Let's say if Caitlyn Jenner was put in my category and I was a female Olympian, it would be clear that there is an advantage that Caitlyn Jenner has. And you don't need to wait for science to prove that. I'm not saying you do. I'm saying, are all men stronger than all women? That's my question. I mean, I don't believe that. Even trained women trained men I don't believe that all men whether they're athletes or not are stronger than all women that I don't believe that maybe you believe that I just don't believe that and you might be you're right could be could be completely unfair yeah I, I don't believe that men all men are stronger than all women of course I don't I'm a logical thinker I don't believe that I mean I'm focusing on the Caitlyn Jenner situation and maybe it's a case of every singular instance of an Olympian, trans-Olympian, needs to be taken case by case. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. And maybe we need a third category. Then would it be a case, if there was a third category, that you would have men and women wanting to compete in that category? And would, they, and would that be okay? That would be another big... That's, that's why it's a minefield and a question over whether or not it's all got out of hand. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Good. See, really good. Very topical. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Mm. I'm glad you covered it. I just, I'm, a story that I've got to share in um, this week's podcast, very short one, actually. It's, mm. uh, I was actually watching the news and I saw, I actually saw this on a news article. It was uh, on a TV news feature 
and then I actually saw it referenced by the Global Herald. Um, it was a story about the lack of female statues that are in Sydney. There was uh, a councillor, a Sydney councillor, um, bringing awareness to this. And, uh, and basically, I'll read the article so you can see. What's it in the article? So the article is from the Global Herald. Okay. And it says, Nine News Australia published this video item entitled Councillor Questions Enormously Large Number of Male Statues in Sydney. So it's from Nine News Australia. In the description, it says, City of Sydney Councillor Linda Scott has described Sydney's statue situation as a sausage fest, questioning why there are so many male statues and so few female. So it refers to obviously a video uh, which our viewers can watch um, if they if they log on to uh, the Global Herald. And in this Nine News Australia video, so we've got the councillor who's basically highlighted that there's not enough um, female um, statues in Sydney and it's not representation, it's not a good representation of female leadership in Australia. And one of the statues in the news article, on the TV news article, was about Queen Victoria, the Queen Victoria statue, which is situated outside Town Hall Station. And apparently this statue was actually created, built in the late 1800s, early 1900s in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland didn't want it. So they shipped it across the seas and it landed here in Sydney and it is now in Town Hall Station. So, uh, see, I don't know whether or not anyone has noticed the lack of female. Is that the only female statue? That is, yes. To be honest, I only notice now that you're highlighting it. But yeah. that's because I don't pay attention to statues. This is the thing, it's, and that's what this councillor was saying, was about awareness and your own unconscious bias that's being represented in our Sydney suburbs. But it's not. Statues. It's not really a surprise, is it? Come on. I mean, who do we put in statues? We put statues, the leaders, the heads of state, the political figures. These are the people that become statues. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest, in history, which kind of leaders are we celebrating? Generally the men, and they've been mostly in those positions. But that's so just it. This is why the council has been saying this. It's quite interesting because in that TV, in Nine Network TV interview feature mm -hmm. that they had, they ended up uh, uh, going around the mic and randomly asking some passers-by if there were female statues, who would you want them? And a few people said Marie Claire. A few of actually, do you know who else are one of the top names that were coming up with? What? Gladys Berejikli. Who? Gladys Berejikli. Oh, Gladys. The lady who took us through our COVID period. Right. Apparently, there be a statue erected of her, people were saying. Okay. So that they did make me think, I was like, and as you've just mentioned, and I know that I'm referencing a podcast that we had for International Women's Day, you know, we took the time to celebrate the great speeches of female historical figures. Mm. And those are some of the figures that we could have statues of in Sydney. So yeah. isn't it great? Like, this is exactly what this lady councillor was um, uh, saying. saying this article. Yeah, but you know, there would be uproar if you tried to get rid of any of those statues. <laughs> I found it so hilarious when they said that oh, the Queen Victoria building was donated by Northern Ireland after they didn't want her. Mm -mm. Well, I'm not surprised Northern Ireland didn't want her because, you know, the fighting about um, the British 
having that part of the island was massive. So that's not surprising. But is she the only female statue? Wow. What comes to mind, yeah. But that was interesting, I thought. And that's why I thought I'd include it in with some podcast. Do you know what I'd like to see, though, in Australia? More Indigenous people of note to be in statues. I think that would be really beautiful. I think um, that's, that's what also cascaded, um, that's the, sorry, that's also the comment that also cascaded from this feature was that um, there, there aren't any statues of Indigenous um, leaders or, um, yeah, thought provokers around Australia and there's not enough women. So, yeah, female and Indigenous. Yeah, I think so. Because really, you know, you can recognise the past and you should always acknowledge and recognise the past because it's where how you've got where you are today and those people influenced it but doesn't mean we have to celebrate them are they worth celebrating maybe maybe they're not but maybe we can set a new a new view of from the future with other people like more women and more indigenous people who we want to celebrate so in 50 100 years time and the statues are still there it's reflective of more of the inclusive society that we want to have, if that's what we want to have, of course. But I think it's, if that's what you want in the future, then that's a good place to make a change. You're right. I thought it was a really good point. Good story. And and while we're on that story, because we just had uh, our Prime Minister in Australia um, talk about the referendum that's going to happen towards the end of the year, and it's about adding an Indigenous voice to the Parliament you know, to decision-making of how Australians live. And the Indigenous community are, a, I think it's like 4% of the, not very big, but, you know, still they are the original community and they're part of this community that don't have a voice at the table. It's incredible, isn't it? It's the OG community that is voiceless. Yeah. So um, apparently, I didn't see this, but the Prime Minister gave a very emotional um, speech as he read out the questions that have been agreed to have at this referendum. And he says, I do feel a weight of responsibility. It is a risk having a referendum. They usually don't succeed. If you were just about positioning on politics as usual, I might not do this. But the people here can't wait. And that's apparently what Albanese said, referring to the Indigenous leaders. And they can't, they've waited so long. The people who aren't here, like Noel Pearson and others, they've waited a long time for justice. This is about justice. So this is the proposed law, the question. To alter the constitution, to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? So that's going to be part of it. Referendum, And then the alteration is chapter 10, recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, 129 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. In recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first peoples of Australia, there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice may make representations to the Parliament and the executive government of the Commonwealth on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples. And the Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. And that's the referendum that we're on. 
get to participate in. Yeah, I think uh, I, I didn't see it myself either, but uh, I saw that Anthony Albanese was really quite emotionally. You know, he probably never imagined he would have to be in a position, whether it be him or anyone else, to even have to still be here. Or even that it's a, a historical moment. It's taken a long time. It's the surprising element of that. It's taken this long. And that's why it's so emotional. Mm. And I wonder if referendums rarely work, I wonder if this one, how this one will go. That's what I wonder. I mean, it's taken them this long just to agree, the government to agree on this, this specific question. That's why it's so sad, yeah. Well, let's see how that pans out. Yeah, let's see. What would you do? And this is one that I kind of made up. I didn't really make it up, as in the reason I'm bringing it to what would you do is because it's happened to me recently. And I would like to discuss with a smart lady like yourself how, well, what firstly what you think and how you respond to this comment. So conversation about hiring, having more diversity in the workplace, or, you know, developing people so that you have more diversity in the decision-making roles in a big organization, right? And when I say more diversity, I mean more women, people from different cultural backgrounds, you know, different ethnicities, genders, so on. And especially when it's very monocultural, right? This is what I'm talking about. So you've got diversity measures, right? Um, it might be positive discrimination. It might be hiring practices. How you do it doesn't matter. Okay, the point is the organization wants to put something in, or there's a body that wants to encourage that practice within companies and organizations. Now, the person who's responsible for hiring people is saying, We hire on merit, and that's all that matters. We hire on merit, so we're not going to go out and creating specifically targeting women or specifically targeting minorities or because we hire on merit and that's how it should be. What would you do or what would you say? That's an interesting one because recruitment or the, the fulfilling of a role, it's on merit. So it's about can an individual do this job? It's not about can this individual who is female, who is black, who is brown, who is red, do this job? It's about there's a job, it needs to be done. Who is the best person for that job? So that's, as I'm hearing it, and I could be wrong here, as I'm understanding this, that's what the response is from this HR manager, is that we, we hire on merit, that's it. What I'm also hearing is that there's an attempt at targeting unconscious bias. In this, in this particular situation, it is, for me, I, would, I hire on merit. Now, it's, it's difficult to measure if recruitment is being based on merit because you have looking at the group that apply for that particular job that's what it's dependent on there are some jobs where it just so happens that there is no talent pool of females or people of color that may just happen and that's not down to any recruitment strategy yes in a lot of recruitment strategies which i've actually seen in job searches they have lines they have paragraphs around encouraging people uh, of different communities to apply um, and they may even have a hiring manager being of female and um, of a certain uh, background to help encourage applications that's what i've seen 
But when it comes to the selection criteria, selection criteria is based on merit. So I can see it from both points in this particular situation that you know, what would you do? I would look at the selection criteria, the talent pool of the job or jobs. And based on that, yes, I would select, it's based on merit. However, I think if it's about putting in place some kind of clause or some kind of program to, or some kind of documentation, which targets unconscious bias, that's very difficult to do because whatever clause is put in place will not determine what selection criteria you end up with. So I would have to ear on the side of the HR manager who said, well, the selection is based on merit and the impact, what impact would a clause do? What impact would a clause have on the talent pool being created more diverse? What if it's not necessarily because this was not about a specific clause. So what if it's essentially going right, let me look at my organisation. All right, all my senior leaders are men. All my middle managers are men. There's a few women, maybe 20% of women. And then my workforce is monocultural, right? I'm a leader with vision. I believe, this is what this leader believes, I believe that to succeed in the future, we need more diverse ideas. So we need more diverse people from more diverse backgrounds and lived experiences. So this company to have a future, which means I actively want to have more females. Maybe I have to want to target 50%, maybe too woke, (laughs) 50%, maybe, but I've only got 20%. So maybe I want to type by next year, I want to have 30%. Let's just go there, right? How do I attract talent from people from different backgrounds, cultures, experience, lived experience? How does my company attract? This is what I want to put in place. I'm not, it's not saying you only hire that person because they're black or you only hire that person because they're a woman or you only hire that person because they're gay. It's saying How do I attract the diverse talent? Because the fact is, whatever you're doing isn't working. If that's your vision, and some people, it might not be their vision, so that's fine. And if that's your vision, whatever you're doing is not working. So how do you attract diverse talent? Yes, you can hire a merit, but if you're telling me every person that turns up for the job is is a white male, then what is what can you do to change that? And you might not know all the answers. This HR, I think for the HR manager, maybe again, I'm probably deep diving into this. Mm. HR manager, when we're saying about we're hiring based on merit, yeah, merit also includes that vision in the sense that, like for example, again, and it relates back to the uh, the sports scenario where mm. all women and all men, are, you know, are, they're not, uh, they're all different, right? In the same way that just because you hire based on um, based on color or gender doesn't necessarily mean that you get represent you get physical representation, but you don't necessarily you may not get the voice of representation. So, for example, you could have female leaders, but that female leader may not necessarily encourage other females. They may be very male skewed. You know, in the same way that um, you may hire somebody of, of an Indian background, but they don't champion their own background. They don't champion their community or what it stands for. They're basically living a, a different lifestyle. Mm. And so like, I've been in situations where I've had, uh, I've been in a company where there's been white female department leaders 
unfortunately, those white female leaders, their mindset, their work output was championing and voicing and representing different communities. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great example of even if you, it doesn't matter what, it, it, in, I, I understand the, the vision in terms of vision, what you see, you know, you're representing. And if you see it out there, then obviously you can become it too. But it's not that that particular vision. That's not just based on just seeing it. That's because that is merit there. Doing doing the actions as well. Yeah, absolutely exactly. right. And so that's what the HR manager is talking about. And mm. in terms of yes, we're we're doing it on merit. If there is in that example that you, that you mentioned about, if there is a company and all you can see is white male leaders in the executive leadership team, then it's a, a case of deep diving and saying, okay, what do those male leaders have which none of our other workforce have? What's going on here? Is it are we giving training sessions just to the leadership team? Or are we not giving mentorship opportunities to the rest of our team? That's more internal rather than attraction of coming on board and attract and assuming, again, it's an assumption, that if we had 30% of female or colored um, leadership uh, managers, that means it would help us in the future. Because you could have 30%, you could hire 30% female and colored um, individuals and put them in leadership positions. But if they they don't necessarily champion exactly what your vision is, then it's a failure. You may as well just go back to having white. Okay, absolutely. But then that would be one of your categories, wouldn't it? And if you have selection criteria for people, they'd have to demonstrate that they could do that and would do that. And that's that's what I was saying about based on merit. Yeah. In terms of the interview, it it still goes, goes back to your talent pool. You can have a job and you could have 10 um, shortlisted candidates for 10 applicants from a job and they could all be 10 made, um, uh, uh, white males mm. and if it's a vision about um, about inclusion and diversity then one of the questions in our interview based on merit too would also be on diversity uh, targeted to those 10 applicants if, yeah. you, if, a, if there was a vision where there is physical representation then it would be a case of okay looking at the recruitment strategies and going okay in order to attract the talent pool in order to attract females and people of color to apply for these jobs what could we do shall we put a face of hr as a female and of a colored individual can we put in a sentence or paragraph that's basically that but there also needs to be like okay well what is but at the sex at the interview process Mm -hmm applicant of whatever background they are needs to then it's up to them to then express how would they feed into the vision of diversity yeah. and inclusion and that can come from a white male um, or a white female or a black female or an Indian man or an Indian female or whoever absolutely and that's why the HR manager said merit right okay so well, what I got from this HR person, well, they weren't a HR person, doesn't matter, is they didn't see the need for those types of initiatives where you say, you know, if you want to attract, you know, visibly diverse talent, that you um, put in the ad a picture of someone who's, you know, a person of colour, or you put a line in the, they don't need that because you just, people apply and you, and you hire on merit. So that's that's kind of what, you know, where we were getting at here, the need for those types of initiatives 
to attract more diverse talent. Well, that, that, those initiatives, uh, it's, they're not just applicable to recruitment. They're applicable to how a company present themselves in the marketplace. Oh, I know. But I'm just saying this is just a, a perspective that we don't need anything extra. We don't need to change how we just need people to apply and select on merit. Yeah, and then not, to me, not, that's ignoring the fact that we have biases, unconscious bias. To me, that's not acknowledging unconscious bias and also not acknowledging the challenges of some of the underrepresented to one apply and two climb the ladder. It's not acknowledging that they exist despite the research and the result that we have. That's dismissing that. But you, everything you said was right. In terms of a selection criteria, yes, based on merit, regardless of what background you're from, in terms of the message you're sending, in terms of a message a company is sending out there, regardless of recruitment, in any applicable scenario, it's how the company wish to present themselves mm. as an organization. You know, that comes down to so that initiative is really down to the values of that company and how they and how they want to present themselves as a company. Yeah, absolutely. Good. It helps me think about how I re- how I would react to that. Yeah, I know. Um, there's some controversial uh, kind of issues there. Yeah, I don't know. Are controversial, really? It's just there's always going to be different opinions. There's always going to be people who don't agree with your opinion, and that's fine. <laughs> and with the uh, merit thing, I don't know how. I'm really uncomfortable with the suggestion that to hire diverse talent means you're reducing your standards of merit and what's um, acceptable for jobs. That's what I hear. When people bang on about merit, I was like, well, you, or are you saying that they don't have merit? Unless you're hiring someone just because they're black and they're rubbish at their job, then that's not what it's about. Or just because they're gay or just because they're a woman, because you want to tick some boxes, then that's not what it's about. But there are always going to be people that believe that in the workplace, whether that was the reason or not. Right. When we talk about hiring on merit, that's that is how it should be yeah of course I'm not disagreeing with that no I don't think you are I'm just making a point when that point is made when we when you're having a conversation about diverse teams and bringing more diverse talent pool and the argument for pro-diversity initiatives right so it's the pro-diversity initiatives and the goal is to get more diversity and then it's, well, what can we do differently or what do we need to do? And when the argument, when merit comes up as a, a pushback, then it's, the suggestion is that you're going to be doing things that are hiring people that aren't fit for the job. Why would you be doing yeah, that? Is that? But again, it's an assumption that they're thinking that merit doesn't, there's an assumption that they're hiding behind merit. It's interesting, isn't it? All right. I think we've only got time for that. We did quite well there. I'd love to know what other people think because people would have been in that position. There would be people in that position, whether it's their job, where they have to um, get on board diversity, equality, inclusion measures in the workplace. How do you feel about that? Is it aligned with you? Do you feel like it's just a tick box? Or do you feel like it works? What works? What doesn't work? How does it sit with you? Interested to hear. Yeah, definitely. All right, that's all we've got time for. Thank you, Bavna, for being a wonderful host, as usual. And uh, 
sharing your opinions, thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Yeah, I'm glad I could. And yeah. I'll speak to you soon. Great. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!